Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, today we're wrapping up the series, as Ben said, and, and the thing that we've been sort of anchoring this series around, more importantly, I hope that you anchor your faith around, is Christianity rises and falls on one individual, Jesus of Nazareth. And here's why that's so important. Because we will always ask questions like, is God good? Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Is God even real? Does he exist? Is the Bible true? Is the entire Bible true? What about this? What about that? And the truth that we've been coming to is, if our faith rises and falls on Jesus, then a better question that we are introducing is, it's better for us to answer, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if it is, these are the four books which record the life and teaching of Jesus, and all four of them end declaring that something extraordinary happened that caused people in the first century to upend their lives and to begin to follow this Jesus even to the point of death. And they did, may not have had all those other questions answered, but they knew the answer to this question. And I believe it's a better question for us. So in this series, if you've been part of these past six weeks, we've simply been going through the book of Luke, kind of fast, kind of at a high level, this one gospel. Because in this book, he actually is investigating whether or not the life and teaching of Jesus is worth following. And so he begins his book by declaring, I am going to do an investigation, and we're using his letter to do our investigation. So he right out of the gate says in the Gospel of Luke, he says, many have undertaken an account to draw up on an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, he says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And he says, and with this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated, which is what we're attempting to do, everything from the beginning. So something caused him to pick up his pen and to, and to do some investigating and document the life and teaching of Jesus. And as we've gone through the book of Luke, we have seen the life, the teachings, and then last week, we even looked at the death of Jesus. As we begin today, I want to pose this one question for you and I to wrestle with. And it is this question. Does the life, teaching, and death of Jesus provide enough proof to follow him? Does the life, death, and teachings of Jesus provide enough proof to follow him? In other words... The first 23 chapters of the book of Luke, there are 24 total, we're going to look at the 24th one today. The first 23 chapters of the book of Luke, are they enough evidence for people to follow Jesus? And what's fascinating is, 21st century people say no. In fact, the Barner Research Group did a study that said 77% of non-Christians believe that Jesus was a real person in history, a real person who lived, who taught some stuff, and then died. 
like many other religious leaders, they believe that he was a real person and that that alone is insufficient for them to follow him. And they have concluded, many, that the first 23 chapters of Luke, which we've spent six weeks looking at, are insufficient to follow him. And that is why chapter 24, the final chapter of the book of Luke, is critical. This chapter is the chapter that distinguishes Christianity from every other faith. And without this chapter, not only do 21st century people find it insufficient to follow Jesus, first century people, without what happens in this chapter, found it insufficient to follow Jesus. Because if you remember last week we were looking at the cross where Jesus gave his life. And it was there at the cross where we also saw a lot of Jesus followers. In fact, most of the Jesus followers, except about a dozen Galileans who found themselves there, most Jesus followers unfollowed Jesus at the cross. Because up until now, the teachings, his life, and now his death were insufficient. They had done their investigating, and they decided he wasn't worth following. And this is fascinating when you think about who these people are. These are people who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus personally, who heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine being there near the Sea of Galilee as Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, as he walks through the Beatitudes and they hear this rich teaching? They heard him share these parables one after another with deep insights. And then they also were firsthand eyewitnesses to miracles. Think about it. They were the ones who were there when Jesus turned the water into wine. They were ones who were there when Jesus healed the blind man. They were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. And yet despite all the teachings and despite all the miracles, when Jesus hung on the cross, they unfollowed him. The teachings and the miracles alone, though impressive and profound, were not enough. So back to our question. Does the life, teaching, and death of Jesus provide enough evidence for us to follow him? 21st century people say no, and the first century people clearly said no. In other words, without what we are about to look at, Luke 24, Jesus isn't followed the movement isn't launched, and there is insufficient proof that he is the Messiah. See, it's not just me saying this. This is the Apostle Paul who said that. Remember, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 said, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He's made it very clear. Apart from Luke 24, we're not following Jesus. And that is why I believe 77% of non-Christians believe that Jesus was a real person in history, but it is not enough to believe that Jesus is a real person in history. You will not sacrifice, surrender, and upend your life for someone who was simply real, for someone who was simply a historian, and for someone who claimed to be the Messiah but didn't prove that they were the Messiah. Most Jesus followers unfollow Jesus. Now, think about that moment as we looked at last week. 
Think about that moment 2,000 years ago. If we step back and we are at the foot of the cross... And imagine if you've been following Jesus and you've watched these miracles, you've heard the teachings, and you heard Jesus claim to be the Messiah, and then you see him hanging there. You see, Messiahs aren't crucified. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, it's over. The dream dies, and your leader hangs on a cross in an execution that is designed to be public terror for those who are around. And you feel humiliated. You feel betrayed. You feel overwhelmed in this moment. Your leader is hanging on the cross. It's as if the rug was pulled out from underneath you. You didn't expect this and here you are. And all of a sudden, you began to realize the dream that we had to overturn Rome, the dream that we had that he would be the Messiah, the dream we had for the power he would introduce is over. He hangs on a cross. And if you're new here, maybe you're new to faith or you're outside of faith, you're checking it out, just know that Jesus, the mission of Jesus was not his teachings. The mission of Jesus was not to get us to follow ideas The mission of Jesus, the thing he continually invited people to do was to follow him. But the people who initially followed Jesus found themselves at the foot of a cross. And they realized in that moment that who Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, that they were wrong and he was wrong. And it was over. And one day would go by and Scripture records that most of the followers would then be hiding. Two days would go by and there is silence. But something happened on the next day that changed everything. Something so extraordinary happened, it caused Luke to grab his pen and to begin to investigate people and to document the life and teaching of Jesus. Something so extraordinary happened that changed everything that it actually caused the disciples to re-engage in their faith and to go to the end of their life claiming something extraordinary had happened. Something so extraordinary happened, think of this, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed that his brother was the Messiah. How many of you have a brother? Raise your hand. How many of you have a brother? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Messiah? That's how extraordinary this event is that happened, that James believed his brother was the Messiah. Something extraordinary happened that changed everything. And this is what's recorded in Luke 24. It is what distinguishes Christianity for everything. And it is the evidence we need to fully follow Jesus, I believe, upend our lives as they did in the first century, and we've got to look at it. I realize we're six months away from Easter, but if it's that extraordinary, we are allowed to look at it more than once a year, this event. So look with me in Luke chapter 24 as we wrap up this series and we record the climactic moment of our faith. Luke chapter 24, as Luke records it, his his record begins, on the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared because they were expecting to find a body. They were going to a funeral, essentially. 
And they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Expecting to find a body, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, or as I love what the New Living Translation says, while they were perplexed, they were confused. And you know why they were confused? Because they were expecting to find a body. The truth is, as they're wondering about this, they assumed someone had stolen the body. They're thinking logical like you would, like I would. When they come to a tomb, you expect there to be a body. The one thing we know is nobody expected nobody. Like they thought surely it would be there. Like they expected Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead. He would still be there. There was no reason to think there would be a miracle. In no way were they expecting a miracle. By the way, if Luke decided to make up this story for whatever reason, and he decided to write in the resurrection as if he had come up with an idea, which, by the way, the other writers of the Gospels would also write the exact same things, and all those who follow Jesus would claim those things, even to the death, as they were martyrs, they would claim those things. So a lot of people were in on this story if they're making it up. But Luke, if he were making this story up, includes a very interesting detail that we just read. I don't know if you caught that. He claims that the first people to the tomb were women. And the reason that's important is because in the first century, women wouldn't have carried the same value, the same authority to declare a miracle as men would have carried in the first century. The men are going to discover the empty tomb in a few verses But the women were first there. And if Luke were making up a story and he wanted the story to be believable, especially to his first century audience, you wouldn't have used women as your source, your initial source to confirm a miracle. You would have waited till the men came and then you would have talked about the men discovering the tomb because in that culture they would have carried more weight. You see, the only logical reason that Luke would use Women discovering the empty tomb first is because that's simply the way it happened. He's recording and documenting it as he investigates it. But the truth is the women struggled to believe this. They thought, we're wondering about this, we are perplexed. And you would think, okay, the women struggled to believe it, but surely the men understood it. They probably figured it out. They probably believed quickly. Well, skip down to verse 11, and you'll see how they responded, because when the women came to the men, in verse 11, the men did not believe the women. And all the wives said, amen. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense, and no one should say amen there. Their words seemed to them, you know why? Because the men are thinking, well, you just went to the wrong tomb. There's no way that his body is missing. No one on the Sabbath would steal a body. Clearly, we're all emotional right now. This is a difficult time for all of us. We're all scared. I get that, but there's no way his body is missing. You, you just went to the wrong place. And they're about to discover the miracle that has happened. These ladies are perplexed, though. We're back to verse 4. As they've come to the empty tomb, they didn't expect a miracle. And while they are perplexed, Angels show up, and look at this, verse 4, and suddenly 
Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them and in their fright, these women did what all of us would do in such a holy moment when all of earth is being changed. And the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, the angels said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? And they're about to make a profound announcement. We have to just pause here Because one of the great protests against Scripture, increasingly, is that the Bible isn't relevant, the Bible isn't trustworthy, because it is anti-women. Scholars are increasingly making this claim. I've shared that in my daughter's college class recently, this was the professor's claim. I have three daughters. I'll be honest with you, this argument always bothers me a little bit because I always think the Bible's anti-women. Have you ever read the life and teaching of Jesus? Jesus was shockingly pro-women in an era that wasn't. Think about this. When Jesus rose from the dead, women are the first to discover the empty tomb. When the angels announce the resurrection The angels first make the announcement to women. When Jesus in his resurrected body first appears to a human being, he first appears to women. The most important message in human history, the gospel itself, was first reported to women, was entrusted to women. Why? Because Jesus saw the dignity and Jesus was shockingly pro-women in a culture that wasn't. And here we see the announcement coming and the announcement that changed all of history, that caused people to up in their lives and follow him was first made to women and it is made in verse six. And I want you to not only hear, but I want you to say out loud these first seven words, an announcement that changed history. When the angel said, say this with me, he is not here He has risen, and all the world forever changed. God had shown redemption to broken sinners like me and you. All those who came before us, all those who will come after us have redemption because of those seven words the angel proclaimed what had happened. He was, he is indeed the Messiah. And then he goes on to say to these ladies, remember, Remember how he told you, Jesus told you this, and while he was still with you in Galilee, he told you this, he in fact said the son of man, his title for himself, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified, just like y'all saw three days ago, and that on the third day he would rise again. Have you noticed the calendar? Today's day three, and the body's not here. He is who he said he was. And then I love this, they remembered his words. It's as if all the dots got connected and they just kind of go, oh. And there's a holy awareness as they begin to realize Jesus is indeed. And they see through the lens of the resurrection all the things that he taught suddenly made sense in a new way. Now, their response is to run back and tell the disciples. Look at verse nine, it says, and when they came back from the tomb, Other gospels record they actually encountered the risen Jesus. They told all these things to the 11, it was 12, Judas, now we're down to 11, and to all the others. 
It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And now we skip down to verse 12, because you remember in the beginning of Luke, we're, we're seeing Peter, and Peter's wrestling with his faith. We come back to him now at the end of the book. And Peter, instead of just listening, instead of just processing, he's a doer. He got up, and he had to see it for himself, and he ran to the tomb. I love that about Peter. He had to see it for himself. He ran to the tomb, and here's a holy moment. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. The body was gone. It wasn't just stolen, gone, because the linen's still there. And Peter walks out of the tomb, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He wasn't expecting a miracle. And he doesn't know how to process this. And he walks away thinking, what happened? You ever gotten news that was so big, even if it was so good that you just, you need some time to absorb it, you need some time to process it? This is Peter, he's thinking, what happened? Then he's thinking, who have I been walking with for over three years? It wasn't just a wise rabbi. I've been walking with God, God the Son. And everything begins to lay into his soul. And he begins to have a new awareness for who Jesus is. And this, according to Luke, as he's documenting this, would change everything for the Apostle Peter. Because the Apostle Peter would not only absorb this, but it would flip his life upside down to where he would go forward from here on out. And he would continue to say to anybody who would listen that he is following Jesus. And his description would always be, I follow Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He always had to say, I follow Jesus whom God raised from the dead. Because what happened? God raised Jesus from the dead. This is what he's discovered. This is what he is certain of. And it would change his life. So when Luke records this in Luke chapter 24, Luke writes one other book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the first few chapters, they really focus on this one apostle, Peter. And he records that everywhere Peter went, he kept saying, I follow Jesus, the one whom God raised from the dead. Remember, he's gone from denying Jesus to now declaring that he's the resurrected Jesus. And it changed everything for him. So much so that there was a moment, you may remember in Acts 4, where he's standing before the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the governing authority. And they're the ones who actually sentenced Jesus to death. And they knew... Peter knew, he and John were there, that he was under danger under the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin says, Peter, I appreciate your, your, your fervency for this, but you need to stop talking about Jesus. And in particular, you got to stop using the R word. you got to stop going around claiming that he's resurrected because this movement is growing. So many of you claim to have seen the risen Jesus. And, and that's just not realistic. That, there's no way that happened. And so you needed to stop that. And he knew this was a threat potentially on his life and that they had the power to take his life. And look how he responds as Luke records how much Peter re-engaged with his faith. Look at Acts chapter 4. It'll come up on the screen. Beginning in verse 10 it says, Peter responds to the Sanhedrin and says, Oh no, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, whom God raised from the dead. He couldn't stop talking about that. And now he declares, salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given by given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Jesus said this, and now Peter steps up and says, I know it's true now. And as for us, your kind request for us to stop talking of Jesus, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I saw the resurrected Jesus with my own eyes. Peter would soon see as many others did, up to 500 others. And Peter, if you see a risen Jesus, you can't stop talking about a risen Jesus. Why did Peter re-engage like this? Is it because of something Jesus taught? No. Is it because of a miracle that he did before the resurrection? No. It is because he saw Jesus rise from the dead. And previously when Jesus had said, I am the resurrection and the life, it didn't make any sense to Peter. And now on this side of the resurrection, he's connecting the dots and he goes, oh, that is what he meant. He really is the Messiah. So back to our question, does the life, teaching, and death of Jesus provide enough proof to follow him? Peter would say, no. But... Once the resurrection happened, it changed everything. It's the resurrection that proves Jesus is enough. The resurrection proves Jesus is enough. Here's the bottom line. Anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, we ought to follow that guy, right? This is what Peter's saying. All I know is God raised him from the dead. It is undeniable, and it has changed my life. You see, the resurrection proves that Jesus is enough. There is enough evidence to follow him. But not only does it prove that Jesus is enough, and this is so important, the resurrection actually describes, it solves two great mysteries. Number one, the resurrection explains how did Christianity survive? the first century, and how did it grow into the world's largest religion? After all, there were empires that have tried to squash it. How in the world did it get from this Jewish carpenter son who who in the first century, this rabbi, this, this simple person seemingly, how did this become the movement it has become today? Well, it is the resurrection. Why did the disciples endure the kind of persecution they did, even to the point of being martyrs, still claiming something extraordinary happened? It is only explainable because of the resurrection. What is Christianity and how has it grown? Well, the resurrection explains it all. Second great mystery is how can you know where you stand with God? It's what we all want to know. If God exists, where do I stand with him? Well, the resurrection explains it. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I give you right standing with God. How do we find it? Through Jesus. You say, I look in the mirror and I see a sinner. Well, so do I. The good news is, though there is the crucifixion of surrender, there is the hope on the other side of resurrection that love wins because there is redemption. There is hope through Jesus Christ. The resurrection reveals the pathway to have right standing with God. The crucifixion made no sense until the resurrection. And that is when Luke pulled out his pen and he began to record it all. And Luke chapter 24, ah, that is why 
we upend our life and we follow Jesus. That is why we surrender our wants, our wishes, and our dreams to the one who knows all, who gave all, who loves more than we could ever love because we have been created by him and for him. He is our purpose. The resurrection proves he is the Messiah. He is worth following. With that said, as we begin to wrap this message up and wrap this series up, we've got to ask this question. What's the conclusion of our investigation of Jesus? As we go through this book of Luke over these last seven weeks, what is our conclusion? What do we, what do we summarize? Where do we come away thinking and believing? I think one thing we know is what non-Christians would even say is we know there's enough documentation to prove that Jesus was a real person in history. What do you conclude? Well, it depends on how you answer this question. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if it is, it changes everything. It is enough to follow this Jesus with your entire life, to prioritize him in every area of your life. And I have concluded they are reliable accounts of actual events. I have concluded because they are reliable accounts of actual events that Jesus came to die for me so that I could live. Jesus came to die for you so that you could live. This is the power of the gospel. And so as we wrap up this series, and maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've been here for the entire series, if you've been wondering about this Jesus and you're thinking about taking a step, you've still got unanswered questions, I would just ask you this. Would you consider this question? Do you believe in Luke's account of the resurrection? Do you believe it's reliable? Because if the answer is yes then I think you could then say, he is worth following. He is worth everything. He is the Messiah. And if you believe that he is the Messiah, even if you have unanswered questions, in fact, if you have unanswered questions, you would be in the majority of the rest of us who have unanswered questions. But we come to this moment, Luke chapter 24, where we discover that he did indeed rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we give our lives to him. If you're ready to take that step and you say, look, I've still got these unanswered questions, but I want to follow the man who gave his life for me. If he died so I could live, I want to live. I want to find redemption. I want to find purpose. I want to give my life to him I want to lead you in a prayer that gives you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus and just know there's no magic words in these in this prayer but it's a decision you make in your heart in your own mind in your own will that says God you have risen your son from the dead for me I want to follow him and if that's you I want to give you an opportunity today before we even leave the service to make that decision and to follow this Jesus who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. So I want to ask everybody in the room, would you do this? Would you just close your eyes and create a moment of privacy for everyone else? And with your eyes closed, I want to lead everyone in a prayer that would like to decide to follow Jesus today. Repeat this prayer after me. Father, today, I recognize that you gave your own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins to pay a price I could never pay. 
And then you rose him from the dead and triumphed over the grave. And because of that miracle, because of your love today, I give my life to you. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Today, I make you my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, if you prayed that prayer today, I believe it's the best decision you could ever make. And now I want to ask some of you a question. And in fact, I'm going to invite you, if you prayed that prayer in a minute, to let us know. Because we want to pray for you. We want to celebrate with you. We'd love to send you a, a new believer's Bible. But if, if you're here today and maybe you would say, well, I'm already a follower of Jesus. But I still doubt sometimes. In fact, I'm kind of doubting right now. I have some things that I'm wrestling with. And, and sometimes I believe. And some other days I just struggle with this whole thing. I would just ask you this question. This is a personal question for you to wrestle with. Is the resurrection enough proof for you, for me, to follow Jesus? It's easy to get wrapped up on all these other things. What about this doctrine? What about, what about uh, God allowing this? And, and those are things that we may or may never get answers to, but we keep coming back to this question. Is the resurrection enough proof to follow Jesus? And if the answer is yes, like those first century believers um, th that's where they landed. If that's where you land, oh, what a great place to begin with that question. Is the resurrection enough proof for me to follow Jesus? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I just give you one final question? Me say, my, my faith is strong. I believe in him. I, I'm trying to live for him. I'm still figuring that out, but that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Let me ask you this question. What are you defending? When it comes to your faith, what are you defending? Because isn't it tempting to defend all these things, all these thoughts, all these ideas, all these theologies? Like, what are you defending? Because in the end of the day, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we spent years trying to win arguments that didn't move the needle of anyone else's faith? What are you defending? Maybe, maybe for me, maybe for us, it comes back to the resurrection to recognize who Jesus is. If he's the one our faith rises and falls on, could we push into and lean into the fact that the resurrection proves that he is enough? The resurrection proves that Jesus is worth following. Wouldn't it be great if we spent more time celebrating and promoting the resurrection and pointing people toward the resurrection so they could wrestle with this miracle that changed everything once and can change everything in one life at a time again? Well, before we close, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to do me a favor. I would love to invite you to just pull out your phone right now. Whether you're a believer or not, here's what I want to do. If you would just go ahead and pull out your phone, I want to invite you to scan this QR code, and here's why. I want to invite you, as we wrap up this message, as we wrap up this series on investigating Jesus, I want to invite you to continue your investigation of Jesus, to not let it end with this series. And we have a lot of resources that are available on this QR code. If you want to take your phone, just click this QR code or you can just go to this webpage that's listed at the top. If you're a new believer, this is a way of letting us know you just crossed the line of faith so we can pray and celebrate with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are, there's a, a, some, some material on here that you can learn a little bit more about the resurrection. 
there are some books to read to continue reading about the resurrection or just studying the life of Jesus to continue your investigation. And there is also, for all of us, there is a 90-day reading plan through the Gospels. You see, that's how much time we have left in 2023. Today's October the 1st. We have about three months left. This reading plan will take you through the Gospels, the life of Jesus. And here's why I think that's so important. As followers of Jesus, I wonder if we should be in the Gospels every day. To be more like Jesus, to know what he taught, to know how he lived, and to have our character to become more like his. Maybe we should be bathing ourselves in the Gospel more. And so to take that step, we're just giving you this 90-day through the Gospels study that we invite you to continue your investigation of Jesus. Everything rises and falls on Jesus of Nazareth. May we become more like him. The resurrection says he is enough to upend our lives and to follow him with all of our heart and our souls and our minds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us unconditionally by sending your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us so that we wouldn't perish, but we would have everlasting life. And you allowed these four books to be written, one that we've just gone through, the Gospel of Luke, which documents the life of your son. And most importantly, it documents the miraculous moment when you raised Jesus from the dead. May whatever we focus on be centered on Jesus. May we be a people who become more like you. And may we focus our heart and our dreams and our passions and our decisions and wrap them around Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.